Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Meantime on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, Ale Emporium and Castleton on the Bud Light Blue Friday. And we welcome in from the Indianapolis Star, Nate Atkins, who is with us. All right, how differently do you view this Friday injury report concerning Michael Pittman Jr. as to what you saw basically the same thing this time last week? Is it the same or a week later do you feel different about it, Nate? Well, I think this week we have to take it in context of the fact that he cleared protocol this time last week and then, you know, the next day was ruled out. So clearing the protocol to me is not a guarantee that he's going to be able to play since we know that that he's had symptoms reappear already. I will say that I, I mean, we talked to him this week and last week and he said this week he's feeling different and his wife was kind of the one who's pointed that out that he, uh, she just didn't think he was quite himself last week. Going back and thinking about that conversation, I, uh, I I do think he sounded a little bit more like himself this week. But that's, you know, ultimately it's going to come down if he has symptoms. You would like to think getting two weeks out, almost two weeks out from the hit, uh, you know, in, in taking that time off uh, from a lot of those activities, doing the protocol twice, um, you know, that's, it, it, he's there on the side of caution with it, so... Uh, they're certainly hopeful he'll be back. He's hopeful he'll be back. And uh, it's, you know, usually when players clear protocol, that's uh, that's how it goes. But, yeah, until he's actually out there on Sunday, I wouldn't consider it a guarantee. He is Nate Atkins of the Star Raiders and Colts coming up on Sunday. The ride to kick off with me begins for the Bullseye Event Center Sunday morning at 9 a.m. So tune in for that. All right. I think it's important, as should everybody else, that Michael Pittman Jr. is a part of this. But I faced the facts last Sunday in Atlanta, even with Michael Pittman Jr., I thought the team played so lousy, or lousily, I should say, if I'm making up words, that even with him out there, that wasn't the difference or even close to it in the game. you agree? Yeah, I think uh, having Pittman out there last week would have, it would have helped because what was weird with it is they, they thought all week they were getting him back. They found out the day before they weren't going to have him. And it's a catastrophic loss, uh, you know, even if they know they're not going to have him. But it's just a lot of changing on the fly, and their passing game looked discombobulated because of it. But uh, So I think he would have helped, especially, you know, with the passing game, obviously, but also with the fact that uh, the Falcons were able to run that five-man front and just take out Jonathan Taylor and Pittman's a big part of getting out of that, some of those quick slants and, uh, and screen passes and, and hitches and the stuff that they can do to, to kind of supplement the run game. But ultimately, I don't think they would have won because of the way they played on defense, the way they tried to tackle, uh, the way they played the screen game, the way they tried to cover uh, Kyle Pitts. That game was going to turn into a shootout on the road in a dome, and I just don't think their offense was going to be able to match that because – uh, they just didn't, uh, you know, the, the Falcons were the better defense. They were the ones that 
had the player up front that the Colts couldn't block and Clays Campbell. They're the defense that tackled better and communicated better. And so they would have been a closer game, but certainly uh, they're not built right now on offense, even with Pittman out there. When they have a backup quarterback in there, and certainly last week they had no Braden Smith, uh, they're not not advanced enough of an offense to kind of win a shootout like that right now. Uh, I guess most teams, so I don't. I don't think they would have gotten it done. It, but they, but it would have been a closer game. Hey, Nate, you go back to a week prior that Saturday win over the Steelers, and I don't think there's much argument here. Certainly, the best second half or the best half of football we've seen from that offensive line, and the game was quite good as well. So, ultimately, what was the big difference? Why such a gap? going from that level of positivity and how they played against the Steelers to a week later playing down to the level in which we witnessed in Atlanta. Yeah, it's been something that's been hard to figure out with this offensive line this year because they have some great moments, they have some really bad moments, and it's hard to exactly say what the deal was because both those games had the same 35. So while they're without Braden Smith, and that obviously has some impact, they were without him against the Steelers, too, uh, you know, who have a you know, similar enough player to Clayus Campbell in, in Cam Hayward, the way that you have to kind of double-team him, and, and they were able to run it well. I think one factor was against the Steelers, you know, both T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith came out of the concussion protocol and missed a lot of practice time. And those guys are built as, as more of your pure edge rushers. So they were the Colts were able to just – play this downhill game and take them kind of out of their element and wear them down at the same time coming off a little practice time. So I think stylistically it's a little different between that and Williams Cable is built first and foremost to be just a menace against the run. And then when you have to drop back in obvious pass situations, uh, he was just way too strong and powerful for Blake Freeland. And that power is really becoming the issue for him. It's He, he was, he fared a little better against TJ Watt just because, you know, it, if there's one area that's going to challenge him, it's just, it's the power and just the you know some of the technique that's that's not there for him right now. So, uh, so, so that's some of it. Uh, it's it's hard to say otherwise. I just think they got the Steelers at the right time where they were really in disarray, where they had lost back-to-back home games to the Patriots and the Cardinals, and just down the stretch of that game, especially, I felt like effort, spirit, all of it was just kind of waiting for them. Whereas the way that uh, that this game went against the Falcons, the Falcons were able to get the lead because their offense was so much better than the Steelers. They had Bijan Robinson and Kyle Pitts and a more capable backup quarterback, and they were able to get the lead and make the Colts drop back in obvious pass situations, which is really what you want to make the Colts do. So uh, some of it was matchups, some of it was game flow, and some of it's just – the weirdness of this season with this offensive line is they've been a bit up and down like this. Is Nate Atkins of the Star Covers the Colts. Colts Raiders Sunday right here, of course, begins at 9 a.m. on the ride to kickoff with me. Nate's on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Potline. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to everybody listening out there. Bud Light Blue Friday is live from the AL Emporium in Castleton today. We'd love to see you. Braden Smith. Um, are we feeling good about that? Because if there is a game that you would like to see him return versus, for the most part, what you're going to see with Max Crosby on the other side, this game would seem to be it. What's your feel from the injury report and from him being back at practice in the latter portions of this week? 
Yeah, we got to talk to Braden today, and uh, he's, he's listed as questionable because he's going to have to try out that knee in pregame. He's been, you know, he's just missed a lot of time here. He's missed four games with that knee, and so they, there is, you know, they got to see how Sunday goes, but I would bet on him playing. He's practiced in full two straight days, was very active. The portion we were out there for looked to be moving very, very well. So it seems likely that he's going to play, and it is, a big return to have him back because Max Crosby is is the mismatch in this game. He's the guy that that wrecks it. He's the reason that the Raiders' defense has played, or the main reason why they played so well lately. And his his power, especially, was just going to be a big mismatch for Blake Freeland, who just went up against that mismatch against the Falcons and Clayus Campbell, and it, and it didn't go well. So Brandon Smith's more capable of handling that in pass pro. He's also the much better run blocker so as they try and counter some of this five-man front you know they had such a hard time against the Falcons getting Jonathan Taylor to the edge uh so so getting Braden Smith back giving a little bit more of a chance to get him where he's best which is on the perimeter and using that speed is going to help uh so it's still going to be you know it's still going to be a mismatch though because Max Crosby's better than just about any tackle he goes up against and Braden's missed a lot of time which affects you know, some of the chemistry and the run blocking and, you know, just sort of his his uh, pressure or, his, you know, his rust level, I guess you'd say, for for pass protection. So, uh, but they got to have him back because, you know, the, you don't have to necessarily dominate on the on the, on the right tackle this week, but you can't get dominated. And I, I'm afraid that that's what's going to happen to them if he doesn't play. Hey, Nate, there have been a variety of games. That, variety may be too strong. I mean, obviously, some in the Cleveland game, uh, especially at the end, uh, especially the end of the Rams game. There have been times when I've been critical of, of Gus Bradley, and others have been as well, as far as you know, the, the pressure he puts on, you know, failing to adapt even if you don't feel the most confident in what you're doing, it kind of felt like there have been moments in which it called for outside-the-box thinking where Gus Bradley has not gone. Now, the other train of thought is look at the personnel he is dealing with and why he may have, you know, a feeling in, in staying, you know, secure and supporting what he feels with the group that he has on the field defensively. Which has it been more and certainly, how did you feel about that, both from the way that things went from a coaching standpoint with Gus Bradley on Sunday to what he was dealing with on the field defensively on Sunday and that loss in Atlanta? Yeah, I think it's uh, fair to criticize Gus Bradley at points this season for sort of not adjusting a little bit more a little bit sooner. But I do. I fall more on the side of the personnel being the issue. Um, like I said, it's a mix. They were pretty healthy, about as healthy as you could get coming into last week's game. Still, they lost Julian Blackman in the first quarter, and that did affect some of the communication. But for the most part, he's got his guys. So they've got to. They've got to tackle. They've got to. Uh, you know, and and I do think there's times that he can disguise a blitz a little bit better. Use Kenny Moore some of those situations, use Nick Cross, who's a tremendous athlete. And I think that's my big criticism of Gus this year is uh, until this Blackman injury, he just hasn't he just hasn't given Nick Cross the reps that I think he's deserved and, and that he needs to be that sort of playmaker on the back end when they don't have a lot out there since 
you know, things with the way they did with Shaquille Leonard. They don't really have that game changer on the back end as much. And Cross has the skill set to be that. But for the most part, I think he is in a bind when his two outside corners, no matter how they slice it, no matter who's healthy, are rookies. And Juju Brent is a talented player. They took him in the second round. But he is barely this year because of all the injuries. And you're just seeing that show up in some of his matchups and some of his, uh, you know, reactions to situations. We saw it at the end of the Rams game when he just flat, you know, he just missed a, a communication with Kenny Moore to let Puka Nakua get wide open. And there's just not, you know, they, they're trying to guard against that. Shane Steichen, for the record, has agreed with Gus in the approach of playing back to limit the explosive plays because they just feel like they're going to come if they, if they gamble a little too much, if they play too much press coverage, if they try and switch things off with young corners. Uh, they they just know how this is likely going to go in this league. And, you know, the corner on the other side right now is a seventh-round rookie in Jalen Jones. And there's been moments where he's looked like the five-star player, you know, he was coming out of high school and playing him at Texas A&M. There's times he's looked like a rookie. And, and DeAndre Hopkins really put him in that place. I feel like uh, he's – they're both facing a little bit of that rookie wall that happens late in the year that's hard to push through against veteran players. And so – you know, when you look across the league, the teams that tend to really blitz a lot, the levels that fans often want, are teams like the Browns and the Ravens, who just happen to have some of the best cover corners in the NFL. I think there's this misconception out there that if you're not great in coverage, you should blitz more so you can like get to the quarterback. Really, in the league, the way it often works is that you tend to blitz more when you do have elite coverage, when you can trust those guys on islands and man coverage. Because most quarterbacks are, you know, if you if you blitz so often that they know it's coming, they're just going to get the ball out even quicker, and you're going to expose these guys in one-on-one situations. And you know, to, to put Jalen Jones or Juju Brents in that spot is just kind of asking to to lose. And so it's a tough balance here where they've wanted the pass rush to overcome, but if they play too far back, they give a cushion. I think Gus can find a better balance with it, and there's some personnel decisions he can get better at. But for the most part, they, they put themselves in this spot by really not going after any veteran outside cornerback at all. When they've had plenty of time to look at it and dress it, they've wanted to live young there. And part of living young there is being hamstrung in some of these ways. Ned Atkins of the Star covers the Colts. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Big one with the Raiders on Sunday, 9 a.m. The ride to kickoff begins with me. From the Bullseye Event Center right here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Hey, with all that you just said, do you think at all there are any second thoughts um, um, among those, you know, starting with Chris and, and on down of maybe being more solidified with a level of talent in that secondary? And I know that they they put they emphasized that they drafted Juju Brents. I get that, but being more solid and knowing what they felt they had in that secondary instead of going, it, it kind of seems like maybe all right, we're here and that's great. But if you were to put a little bit more emphasis on that with people that have been there and done that or anybody that have been there and done that, maybe some of these situations could have been rectified we're talking about right now. Is there any second guessing going on in that capacity player personnel-wise? Yeah, I definitely think there is. You know, I think what happened was they got into the spring coming off last year, which 
They won four games, and they knew they were drafting a rookie quarterback and a first-year head coach. If Stephon Gilmore asked for a trade, and to them that was a window to just sort of embrace an evaluation year for much of the roster and new schemes and a year where they can play younger players and grow and really set themselves up for the future. And what they didn't quite allow for was this coach and this rookie quarterback hitting the ground as well as they did get off to that start where they were 3-2, and two, uh, and they were looking like they could have explosive offense. And we saw the first sign of their regret of how they've been doing things when they decided to sign Jonathan Taylor to a deal that they could have offered him in training camp, but they held off because Chris Ballard said, we won four games last year. And suddenly they realized they were ahead of schedule, so they tried to make the adjustment of running back. Unfortunately for them, the same week he came back, Anthony Richardson went down, which is right before the trade deadline. It's possible that if that doesn't happen and they have Richardson and Taylor healthy together and under contract, maybe they look to trade for a corner. But I certainly think looking back, if they knew that uh, that Shane was going to deliver this quickly and that uh, you know that Anthony was going to look the way he did early in the season, I think they would have liked to get another veteran option at cornerback, knowing that that – when you have such a big hole in such a premium position, it often sinks you from being a playoff contender. And unfortunately, uh, this has been one of the issues for this front office over the years where they've scouted incredibly well, they draft incredibly well, and they compete, but they too often have one unaddressed premium position that drags them down. In 2021, it was the pass rush. Last season, it was left tackle, among many other issues. And unfortunately, this year looks like it's going to be quarterback. So part of it is that they did want to go young there. They knew they had to stock the covers after they hadn't drafted at corner very much. Uh, I think they wanted to avoid a situation where uh, the coaching staff that very much prefers veterans on defense was going to play veterans so much over younger cornerbacks the way they did the year before with Brandon Faison over Isaiah Rogers Sr. So some of it you you can see why they did it, but what they but but I think the regret is that. If they don't end up making the playoffs this year, the number one reason is going to be, to me, personnel issues on defense. And that's one where they could have spent a little bit of money, you know, maybe $6 million on a one-year deal to get some quarterback in there who started games and isn't going to freeze up in matchups against a guy like Jamar Chase or T. Higgins the way we saw in Cincinnati. So I do think they're living with a little bit of regret. Hey, you know, Nate, what's interesting to me is a lot of people say, and I'm sure you hear this from Colts fans too, and I brought this up, that yeah, the Colts are in a situation now where, you know, this is just playing with house money and you feel confident in the long term. And while hopefully that confidence pays off in the long term, and the reason why Colts fans feel that way is justified, but I was talking to Bill Brooks last week about this very thing, and I said, Bill, it seems like a situation to where in the NFL – you have no idea. There are no promises or guarantees for tomorrow. And we have certainly been privy to that around here with certain storylines, really a myriad of storylines in the past. I mean, you, you take advantage of the situation in which you're in right now because you can't call the future. And that's how I've looked at this. I mean, I'll, I'll be critical. I had expectations build as we got into December, honestly. And then you play off of those expectations. And like last week, you just kind of wonder why, even on a roller coaster ride that we're on with this team, why they so handily across the board 
played down those expectations against the Atlanta team that looked awful in the rain in Carolina the week prior. And again, this is a situation where you take advantage of the schedule. You take advantage of the teams on that schedule and the position you're in, what's going on in Houston, what's going on in Jacksonville around you, and you play accordingly. Last night, it just, or I should say last Sunday, it didn't feel like they had that going for them, which was, to me, entirely disappointing. Yeah, you know, this team is really just way above their heads as far as what we thought coming into the season yeah. and certainly what was what we thought once Anthony Richardson went down and it was going to be every game with Gardner Minshew, who's very clearly a backup quarterback, and it's usually just not the recipe in a passing league with how young they were at other spots. So the fact that they got to, you know, 7-5 and 8-6, and it was like – you know, that, that did get you to start to believe because they'd done it for so many weeks. But I do think that, you know, water tends to find its level in the league, and we've seen that just over the past three weeks is that really, really, if you look across the board in the season, they their flaws have been evident kind of all season long as far as, you know, outside quarterback issues and youth there, you know, as far as, you know, the, the limitations at quarterback and trying to go down the field and their inability to run against sack boxes, those have all kind of been there. They just, those tend to, for them, maybe it's lucky, maybe it's fortunate, but they've all kind of bottled in just a couple of games where they've had those issues pop up, but they've managed to get by in games against, very close games against, you know, the Ravens or the Titans or the Panthers or the Buccaneers or the Patriots. Uh you know, they, they managed to do just enough, even though those flaws were kind of there. They've come crashing down to earth in a couple of other games, uh, namely it tend to be games on the road anymore, uh, Jaguars, Bengals, and Falcons, where uh, these, these kind of more talented teams have, especially at the areas where they're weak, have tended to, you know, expose them. Uh, Saints were kind of like that, too. So uh, they, they just seem to hit the regression in a couple of games. The problem that for them, though, is we're getting late in the season where when they're relying so much on youth, uh, late in the season tends to be a harder time for those younger players. And so the youth could show up even more. I think that's happened in two of the past three weeks, especially at outside cornerback and at right tackle. So uh, it's just one of those weird years where uh, they, they kind of, in the end, are uh, in a lot of spots what we thought they'd be. But they found a way to sort of play through that. And I think Shane Steichen deserves a lot of credit for managing the season for what it was. And even though those flaws on the roster are there, you know, they still found a way to get to 8-7 and seven and put themselves in a position where they could win one or two more games and get in the playoffs. And however you yeah. get to the playoffs, whatever it looked like, you know, who cares? If you got there and you earned that chance, and these guys would love a chance like that. Hey, Nate, one final quick thing with you. Nate Atkins of the star on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So is it as simple as saying if you protect the football and work well defensively against the run, this Colts team should beat the Raiders on Sunday? Is it that simple? Uh, that's, that's pretty close. I think in addition to – I think what you really have to do is eliminate explosive plays by the Raiders' defense. So that could be turnovers, and it also can just be some of the crushing sacks that uh, Max Crosby can get in the defense that's playing off of him. Uh, you know, it's a that, that sort of 
the Raiders scored two touchdowns in like 14 seconds against the Chiefs, and that ended up being 14 of their 20 points on the day. And so you got to avoid that kind of a situation because Aiden O'Connell, you know, he, he doesn't scare you even that like a Taylor Heineke or Jake Browning. He's kind of more confident back even if they're back up. You know, Josh Jacobs doesn't look like he's going to be able to play. So that side of the ball, they should be able to mostly handle unless Devontae Adams is just too much of a problem, which which is possible, too, against young corners. But for the most part, you feel good about that. You you want to eliminate disaster in you know the drop-back passing game. And I will also have special teams, which has, you know, cost them at times this year. The, the Bengals game one stands out. Uh, even last week, jumping up sides on a field goal attempt. Uh, those, those, this uh, a low-scoring game that's sort of tight like this. That's where special teams can really show up. But pretty much, to me, this is a little like the Steelers game where the one route for the opposing team is that their superstar edge rusher has to wreck the game, and he's fully capable of doing that. So what's the plan for Shane Sykin and the, you know, the, the Colts coaching staff to manage that around Max Crosby? If they can handle it like they did against the Steelers, you know, I don't think they're going to necessarily win 30 to 13 again, but they should be able to come out uh, this one with a victory because, on paper, they're the better team. They, they have more ways they can win right now than a Raiders team that uh, that's as hamstrung as it is with uh, with Aiden O'Connell. Hey, it's worth noting Max Crosby and Malcolm Kuntz combined for 128 quarterback pressures this season. That is sixth among any pass rush duo in the NFL. So on either side, wherever they're lined up, they are certainly worthy of recognition. Nate Atkins of the Star covers the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Nate, have a great holiday season this weekend. Have a great new year. We'll catch you in the press box coming up on Sunday as well. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Have me anytime. Nate Atkins of the Star on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Mike Wells with his rendition of this Boys to Men classic. Mike. Okay, you. Like you want me to, and I hold you tight, baby, all through the night. <laughs> want me to, even I think I've told you this before. Oh, 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 Boys to men. Yep. Hex, let's go slow. We ain't got. Nowhere to go. Trade on you. <laughs> hey, why why didn't they have the lyrics of "Let's hustle up and go fast" because I got to get to bed, I got to get some sleep, or I got to get the hell up and get out of here? Would that not have been a romantic song? Would that not have been yeah. a slow jam classic? Let's let's hustle this thing up because I got to get the hell up and get out of here. Hey, I don't think they would have probably named it Hit It and Quit It. That's what they would have named it, man. <laughs> I got to get up off this floor and get out of here. Come on. Oh, my God. Hey, hey John, yeah. I got to tell you, man, um, I'm so glad 
I didn't try to bring the lovely Layla and Mr. Handsome Tay to El Emporium because when you when we when we FaceTimed earlier today from Center Grove yeah. High School when Brown when Brownsburg got a two point victory over Warsaw High School, you said El Emporium. I thought you were on the South Side. And oh no, I, I we're a Castleton baby. Oh, hey, no, no, uh, you, you got to be over 21 to go into Castleton, so I definitely would not have been able to make it. Yes. I didn't know that. Huh. Well, we yeah, know. That is, that is. So that's why I was open to it. I was thinking you were going to do it at Greenwood and then head back over to Center Grove High School when uh, the Trojans, Lady Trojans, take on uh, my Bulldogs at 7 tonight. Oh, they play at 7 tonight, huh? I don't know if Laney, I don't know if Laney's going or not. So I haven't I haven't heard, but uh, we did we went to the first one today. There, CG is pretty good. It's the first time I've seen him play this year. I, and uh, Kevin Stuckmeyer is a good coach. I mean, he can coach him up. Man, uh, yeah, hey, I saw they beat they won by like fifty points or something, man. Yeah, yeah, and Jeffersonville looked like a team that just got up off the bus from Jeffersonville at ten a.m. That's what they got. Look, they look, they're about five or six steps behind. Yeah. Hey, is, uh, where's Hagen at? Where's he at today? Is he not joining us? Um, well, I've got some guesses, but I don't have any solidified information. He was out yesterday with us, so he came out yesterday at Taylor's Pub. So I'm assuming that he's taking a pass on on today and doing what Hagen does on a Friday when he's not with us. It's my assumption. Oh, he's probably he's probably, he's probably making a new commercial or something, man. Yeah, probably. Maybe. Yeah, or you know, another another article. From the Indianapolis Star. So, oh uh, were you surprised that they didn't touch on the feud between he and Anthony Calhoun? Because I was. Yeah, well, I saw it. It was one of those pool quote, quotes where he basically said, I like, I like to have fun in sports. So I was like, oh, man, I got to click on the story. Maybe he is going to talk about the fun, lighthearted relationship he has with Wish TV. But, nope, that wasn't the case. And as I asked in our group text, he said, oh, they left that part out. So, hmm. I know he was joking, but still, look at Hagen not telling the whole story about having fun. Leaving, leaving, leaving having some shortcomings, just like his height. <laughs> yep, and he's, he's on stealth mode today. So, I, I can imagine what's going on on a Friday in the world of Hagen. It's Mike Wells with us. I, other than time of year, I, I really – time of year – and importance of the game, I I don't have too many relatables with this particular Raiders Colts matchup from that of the year before last. Do you? No, I, I don't. Uh, and, and I saw a stat. Um, I don't know where I saw it, but it might have been JJ from the Colts. Where this is what the eighth straight year that the Colts and Raiders are played in the regular season. I did not realize that. I know they played a lot, but. I did not realize it was like seven or eight straight years that they played each other. Yeah, and then you know, obviously on Sunday, it's it's going to be that big one, Mike. I, I try to explain to people all the time uh, because I mean, you know this; you've been a part of this for a long time as well. People will always think that you're trying to bag on their favorite team, or you're not giving them enough credit. And you know, somebody had mentioned to me, "Oh, I guess you're going to bag on the Colts after they lost in Atlanta." And, you know, once I returned from being sick, I said, I'm going to be critical of the way they played because that's what we're here to do. And there is a reason to be critical. 
because we discovered expectations. And here's the other thing, too. This has been a common theme that I have heard through many of these Colts fans out here that suggest, hey, it doesn't matter what happens this year because, you know, they are in line to be good for the future. Their future is made. I can't stand what people say. I, I, would yes. say I had to remind like them because I asked Bill Brooks that very thing, the former NFL wide receiver. And I said, Bill, as a player, you had to understand, right, that you have no promises for tomorrow. You have to take care of as much as you can take care of today. And he absolutely agreed. So while you're here, make something happen. Because, again, you have no idea what's going to You hope that Anthony Richardson is going to be that guy. You hope that that's going to be long term. But we went through the luck era around here, I would have thought, enough to know that there is one thing that you can count on as far as the future in the NFL is that normally you can't count on the future. Listen, and I'll use 2018 as an example when Andrew Luck came back. And they're like, all right, Luck, Luck had been injured, you know, all those years since since week, what, three to 2015 seasons, so two and a half, you know, basically three seasons that Andrew Luck had been injured. And, yes, he, he came back, led them, got them a playoff victory at Houston, lost to Kansas City. The future's going to be bright. Andrew Luck is back to looking like the number one overall pick. Little did they know that, when Andrew Luck walked off the field in Arrowhead Stadium in January of 2019, that was the last time he was ever going to wear a coach uniform in a regular season game again, in a substantial game again. So, yeah, and, you know, people can say, oh, you know what, we're going to have Anthony Richardson back, everything's going to be good, we'll be good to go. The reality is nobody knows for sure if Anthony yeah. Richardson can be healthy on a regular basis or is this a sign of things to come for his future. Take advantage of the moment. There was no reason why the Colts went down to Atlanta last weekend and laid a gigantic dud and let yep. Taylor Heineke move the ball up and down the field on them. There's no reason they looked like they were moving a quicksand the entire game against the Falcons when you, when you know what's online, what's at stake for you, and the potential of you know, winning because you know, a couple hours later, Jacksonville got embarrassed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Colts could be sitting in first place in the division right now. Yeah, you look back on that game on Sunday. Mike Wells of ESPN Radio is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And that, on this roller coaster ride that has been this season, that I've documented, and I know that this, this is a team that, simply put, is, is not that good. It's not that bad, but it's not that good. And you're probably going to have moments like that. That was a moment against a team that you saw desperate and a team that was playing home for the holidays against a team that didn't look ready for the moment at all, or really any moment, especially coming off a win to where in that second half against the Steelers, Mike, offensively with the offensive line, and I know they're without Michael Pittman Jr., and that's a big deal, but that's no excuse to put on that offensive line that played as badly as it did against Atlanta. It just didn't look like it was ready for that moment we've been talking about, taking advantage of that schedule and being ready for, now they're lucky that they're able to make up for it in these final two weeks. The capability is there to put themselves in the best possible position for a make good, a do-over, if you will, beginning Sunday against the Raiders. But I'll give you this. The Raiders are playing with an edge right now. The Raiders are playing with an edge we thought we saw in the Colts against the Steelers, but poof, went away last Sunday on Christmas Eve in Atlanta. 
Yeah, no, and that's the thing. I mean, a- Antonio Pierce has, has gotten due to his players. The players believe what he says. You know, this is not Josh McDaniels where they're like, ah, oh, you know, whatever, man, whatever, dude. We're not worried about you. Antonio Pierce has those guys playing hard and getting out there. I mean, come on. No offense for Purdue fans, but Aiden O'Connell did not have a, had, did not have a completion after the first quarter against Kansas City. He threw for 62 yards on national TV on Christmas afternoon. But you know what? They did enough by scoring those two touchdowns in seven seconds or whatever, and their defense did not play scared of the Kansas City Chiefs, and they got the victory. Was it pretty? Heck no. In fact, it was but ugly football by the Raiders, but it was a win against the team that defended Super Bowl champions. And at this point for the Colts, it's all about whatever it takes. It doesn't matter how pretty or ugly the game looks. Whatever it takes to get the win, that's that's the the, uh, mindset Indianapolis has to take this weekend in their final two games, both at home against the Raiders and then the Houston Texans. You know, it's funny, Mike, you look back to last week in that game in Kansas City and that win by the Raiders. The Raiders put, well, I should say this, the Chiefs didn't put Aiden O'Connell in a position to where he could be a difference maker in a moment or two. And that's what you're looking for with a mistake. That's what a lot of teams have looked for. For example, a lot of these better defenses have looked for from Gardner Minshew. And they prey upon that. Kansas City didn't do that last week. I think that is a notion that the Colts have to take to heart defensively, whether it's Gus Bradley or to a man individually on this team. And to Sunday, you want to make a rookie quarterback who's trying not to make mistakes to cost his team the game in a position in which he is wide open to make those mistakes. And Kansas City didn't do that last week. You mentioned he didn't have a completion because really he didn't have to because Kansas City was turning over the football, you know, and they were going pick-sixing and they were getting seven out of this and great field position out of that. The Colts can't do that, but the Colts also have to put Aiden O'Connell in a position in which he is a difference maker in the negative for his Raider teammates on Sunday. Yeah, and, and, and what, you know, some people may not know, the Raiders didn't even have Jacobs at running back, and they still were able enough to get. They were still able to win the game by getting enough yeah. on the ground and getting strong defense. A defense that's you know was very disciplined, as you know, coordinators have to say. They stayed in their lane. They knew where Patrick, you know, they knew where uh, Travis Kelsey was at all times. They played disciplined football that did not that did not allow them to get beat by recess football or Patrick Mahomes when he scrambles in the backfield. So that we are, they were a well-coached team who on defense and an even better coached team on offense where they did not have to force Aiden O'Connell to try to do something he didn't need to. Part of it was because of Kansas City and part of it was because of, you know, you know very good play callers. A negative factor he has to become for the Colts. And then I think they make that believable. But on the other side of it, too, Hello, offensive line. I mean, what what are you? Will the, the real offensive line for this team stand up? Is it what we saw in that second half against the Steelers? Or is it what we witnessed for the entirety of that game for the most part in Atlanta on Sunday? I mean, if you're going to talk about a an area of this team that really needs to put the work in and, and see the fruits of the labor, I hate that cliche, but I'll use it here anyway, it's going to be that offensive line because I don't know – I don't know what to expect them to be right now after the past couple of weeks. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's anybody's guess, quite honestly. Because like you said, against the Steelers, you're like, holy cow. This is the old line that we saw a couple years ago before all those guys got paid. Before when it, before the Quintons and the Ryans and all those guys got to the contracts, they looked nasty out there. But, again, you fast forward to Atlanta, and the Falcons are living in the, in the backfield, and you made it. You talked about how Kansas City did not make um, Aiden O'Connell uncomfortable. Well, you know what? The Atlanta Falcons did make Gardner Mitchell in trouble. They knew going in, if we if we um, pick up the pressure, Gardner Minshew will be known to make mistakes. He'll make a he'll try to force the pass. He'll try to do something that is going to put his team in a bad position, and that's exactly what happened uh, with this turnover. So Mike Wells of ESPN Radio, he is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So how do you see this? You are a picking, betting man right now. I think the Colts bounce back. And again, time of the year and situation in the postseason notwithstanding, they're not <laughs> – you don't have a good memory. I know last year, you know, that was Jeff Saturday's lone win as the interim head coach in Vegas. But you go back two years ago – and that was like the precursor. That was the appetizer to the ultimate disaster in that lone Carson Wentz season. Listen, hey, Hunter Renfro gave Kenny more to business in that game. You remember that? Yeah, he did. Yep, he Hunter, did. Hunter, Hunter Renfro, he was, he was the best player on the field. With that said, is, the Raiders have been a great story uh, for what they're doing for Antonio Pierce. Um, you just have to, hope, you have to hope that Mark Davis doesn't do it the Raider way which you usually is screwing it up uh, when it comes to um, naming their next head coach. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the Colts on this one. And it's more so what we heard after the game with Gardner Mitchell and Shane Sykin acknowledging that, Hey, they took things for granted and they weren't ready to play. And that's when you're not, when you're not ready to play, that's exactly what happened. I think this is going to be a very strong bounce back game by the Colts. I'm going to put it like this, John. Colts win by at least 10 points. Yeah. I, see, I, I picked them to win, too. I had a little bit of hesitation because what you have seen in the Raiders looks like one of those charmed teams. And that's really what they became. It didn't last long in the postseason two years ago after they beat the Colts here. It didn't last long. I think they went to Cincinnati and got ousted and knocked out after yeah. that. And, in that first game of the postseason. But this, this Raider team looks like one of those charm type of teams that has a bit of an edge to it. And I mentioned this. They had their swag back. They didn't have their swag most of the year. But, you know, they're smoking cigars in the locker room and feeling good. They're like one of those happy-go-lucky, whatever-happens-happens type of squads that defensively with what they have up front and then what they have, as we talked about in the secondary, is incredibly dangerous if you put a quarterback in position to make mistakes. And I think offensively, that is what is most concerning to Colts fans out there. Is that happening on Sunday? Yeah. Uh, no, you, everything you said is I, I, I'm in agreement with. And, uh, listen, if, if the Colts can't bounce back and win this game, I don't think they deserve to go to the playoffs because that's two weeks in a row where they've had games that they, they've had opportunities to put themselves in position to further lock down a playoff spot. Not only lock down a playoff spot, but, you know, get a good hold uh, first place in the AFC's house because the Jacksonville Jaguars are really the Jaguars have already ruled out Trevor Lawrence this weekend for their game. So here's yet another chance to say to be 
in first place and win and potentially win the AFC South for the first time since the 2014-2015 season. Damn, that's a long-ass time ago, too. Yeah, man, I, I just, again, take advantage of the situation you're in. This is the situation. Nobody's suggesting this is going to be the high point whatsoever of the Colts with this team, this team personnel-wise and the makeup. But take advantage of the situation you're in because you are not promised anything in the future. That's Mike Wells of ESPN Radio on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, so the Pacers won last night. They blew a 25-point lead, regained that lead in the fourth, and went to a 120-104 win in Chicago over the Bulls. But did you notice that after Isaiah Jackson got called for the 10-second count rule at the free throw line and then got subbed out, that he walked to the tunnel? He walked to the tunnel to vent his frustration because he didn't want to be on camera. Now, you go back a couple of weeks to Vegas against the Lakers. Miles Turner goes out, walks to the tunnel, and Jack Assery all over my Twitter X account goes crazy about Miles Turner quitting on the team. Yeah, way to support this quitter. He quit on the team. Trade him right now. So it was interesting to notice the not-so-subtle difference in opinions on one to the other. And frankly, I don't blame these guys. You, got, you don't want to get caught acting like a jackass on a 9,000 different cameras. So if you're mad about that, if you're Isaiah Jackson, you need to go back in the tunnel and kick something and they don't catch you on camera, so be it. That's exactly what he did. But again, there was a huge difference in what I normally get. Nobody was telling me Isaiah Jackson was quitting on the Pacers by doing that, like they did almost a month ago in that game in Vegas. Kind of odd to me, Mike. Just a little bit odd. Oh my goodness! Hey, you, you're making a great point. So let me ask you this: Did you tw- did you tweet about Isaiah Jackson doing that? And nah, nah. I thought it was self-explanatory. And believe me, by now, these jackasses on my Twitter account that only come about when there's a bad game, they know who they are. And I know who they are, too. There's like one named uh, Chase Sanders out there. I'm going to call him by name. I don't care. If you send me that stuff, then I reserve the right to talk about you. So that's exactly what I do. But I just want to make that clear. And there was another moment where you saw Buddy Heald was mad about a call. And then there was a little bit of dialogue going back and forth in the huddle during a timeout between he and Rick Carlisle. But you notice Miles and Tyrese go over to try to calm him down and stand in front of him because, again, you don't want this stuff documented on the myriad of cameras and HD that you see now. You want to try to keep that as in-house as possible. And I understand that. That's what teams with good leadership do. They don't let anybody in your kitchen. And all these cameras with that availability do that now. I completely understand that. But, again, I think it was lost on those that blame Miles for quitting on his team in Vegas last month. Or earlier this month, I should say. Hey, stick up for your guy, man. Stick up and remind everybody. Those who like to hang back in the weeds and jump out when Miles does something like that or Miles has a bad game shooting or Miles gets worked over by Joel Embiid. Remind them of the good. I'm with that. Hey, I got a question for you before before you let yes. me know, brother. What is the long? How many? What is the longest you've done a radio show? 
How many hours consecutively? Um, I went, I've done this one. I used to do four hours. I've done this one once, six. Um, and then I have done the JMV takeover for nine. Close to nine before. Holy cow, because I'll tell you, this week, I did ESPN Rita. It's, hol- it's a holiday, so a lot, all the hosts are taking holiday breaks. So I did five yeah. hours on five consecutive hours on Tuesday, five consecutive hours on Wednesday, and then four consecutive hours yesterday. And I'll tell you, going from five to four hours, it was like Christmas morning, man. I know it's only an hour of additional <laughs> radio, but damn, I, I was like, yes. Only four hours instead of five. It went by a lot quicker. So anybody who can talk, I like to talk, but anybody who can talk that long for consecutive days, more props to you. Yeah, there's, you know, the other thing, I think I went nine once. There's a date in April when I do something on a Saturday for Ron Colley. I moved the JMV takeover from Saturday to Friday night. So I will go three hours um, of me talking and then six hours of me playing the hits for the requesters out there. So that's nine hours as well. But it's like you, you go from it's, – it's different when you're talking. Like what you're talking about right now, to sit here and do this for nine hours would be incredibly difficult. Like I did it for six once, and it was a long damn time. And it feels like a long damn time. So you got to have a lot of content loaded up, which I'm assuming – the professional that you are, you had just that ready. Oh, no, we definitely did. Shoot, I don't know. You did it by yourself. That's, I, I commend you even more for that. At least I had a co-host for all three days. For you to do it by yourself, damn. I'm sure Laney was like, Dad, do that all the time because when you come home, you won't be bothering me and talking to me nonstop. You know, it's funny. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because Laney, Blake's the same way too. I go to the Greenwood Park Mall with Blake last week. And uh, he wants me to walk like 20 feet behind him because he said, you know, I don't want if I run into my friends, I don't want to see them, you know, walking. And I'm thinking, hey, do I not help his rep? How would do I do I just view myself differently? How would walking with me hinder or hurt his rep? Know what I mean? I, trust me, I'm the I wasn't offended by it, but I just wondered. Don't get me. I mean, I, I'll tell you this. See, we're, we're talking about our kids, you know, not feeling good about things with us. You had that moment. I use the word, the only time I FaceTime is with my kids. But I walk into <laughs> Center Grove today, and Brownsburg parents are like, oh, you just missed JMV. He was just here. So I'm like, dang. So I tell the lovely lady, Lee Wells, hey, let's FaceTime, let's FaceTime JMV. So he sees that we're here. And she goes, ew, get away from me. Don't do that. I say, no. Sit by me. She goes, but well, people are going to see us FaceTime with somebody. I don't know why these kids are embarrassed by us, John. I don't get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I did. But Laney's the same way, too. I, I said, Laney, I'm like the coolest dude you're going to be around. I mean, well, you, you know, but they, they don't get it. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's that. We have a multi-generation gap with our kids, but maybe that's just the generation gap in Whoa. general. But I was just trying to tell Blake, I'm thinking, man, this is going to help your rep right here. I mean, it's going to help you. We're going to walk around the Greenwood Park Mall. We're going to go into Hat World, look at hats. We're going to be going into Spencer's and looking at fake poop and fart spray. It's going to help you. It's going to help your rep out. But when, hey, but when they need us to buy something, they say, come here, come here, come here. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. They got their hands out. But you know what? We, hey, we love them to death. Hey, John, 
Have a great weekend. And more importantly, my brother, my friend, have a happy new year, man. Report back and give me the updates on Brownsburg and Cinegrove for the championship of the CG Holiday Tournament. And you, because I know I, I trust your eyeball for coaching. I think Kevin Stuckmeyer is a really good coach. Report yeah, back to me. Back I thought, what's that? Layla's mad at me. She, Layla's mad at me. She wanted me to drive. She wanted me to drive back down there for the game tonight after we came home to Brownsburg. And I would do that if she did oh. not have to be back in. If she did not have to be in Center Grove again tomorrow at 9 a.m., I'll do it. But I love her to death. I love her. But <laughs> I'm not making three trips to Center Grove. And I understand. Nah, man. I think. I think. And, and again, my my friend Jeff Allen is the head coach at Bedford North Lawrence, and he speaks highly of him. I, I mean, with the record he put together, I, mean, I think Johnson County's blessed. You got. You got Kevin at CG. You got um, you got Mike down at uh, at Franklin. I mean, you got you got a lot of stuff happening in Johnson County right there. You should feel good about that, I would think. So, as I'm assuming you do in Hendricks County at Brownsburg. So, yeah, exactly, my brother. So, yeah, let me get running, and I will talk to you next week, brother. You got it, buddy. Thank you, Mike Wells of ESPN Radio. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, when he needs moved around on the Friday schedule, we abide by the moving around on the Friday schedule. The voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher. Don, are you on the way down to Bloomington? I am, as we speak. Are you speeding? Are you presently above the speed limit, the posted speed limit? Uh, just slightly. <laughs> slightly, I'm sure. <laughs> I am uh, I'm absolutely sure. But, hey, thanks again for popping on here. I know you have your pregame show at 5 o'clock. A couple of things I didn't want to talk about, too, and this is this Kennesaw State team that we talked about last week in terms of, you know, we saw what they, they transitioned into a year ago and a team that I think lost his coach, right, but is still yeah. pretty strong in terms of the level in which it normally plays, correct? Yeah, they're 9-4 and four at this point, John, and um, Antoine Petway is the new coach. He's an Alabama assistant, young guy, first-year head coach, got him playing pretty doggone hard. They play kind of like they did last year. They really – press you um, at both ends of the floor. They're aggressive offensively, and they really go after you defensively. Uh, they got beat by North Carolina Asheville in their last ma- uh, last outing, um, which was the same time that uh, Indiana was beating up on uh, North Alabama. Uh, but it's a good basketball team, and uh, they've got two starters back. Well, actually, yeah, two starters back. Their center, DeMond Robinson, and their point guard, Terrell Burden, uh, along with a guy named Siami uh, Hoddle, who was an off-the-bench player last year, but he is leading them in scoring this year at 16-plus points a game. So they've got some veterans on that ball club that have been around the block, and they played against Indiana last year. You know, the one thing I guess I would look for, and Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, joins us, regarding a game like this is a couple of different times this season we have noted how IU, the players, didn't look like that they were ready to get into it at the beginning, the early stages, first half of the game. 
if I'm Mike Woodson, and I'm assuming this has been addressed, this is something where you really do gauge because, you know, after this you start the, the bulk of the Big Ten season, but evaluating how this team starts when it's not one of those types of games, when it's a little bit earlier than normal, when there are no students on campus, when you're in the midst of a holiday weekend that is underway. I mean, I know all this should not matter to us older folks whatsoever. We expect these kids to go out and play and play at the best of their ability. But it does seem like that these types of games have been an issue for this IU team so far on the schedule. Well, John, you're right. I mean, they, they, the mid-majors that they played this year, uh, all four of those games prior to North Alabama were a tussle, to say the least. Um, and Indiana ended up winning those games, but it was not by many. And, of course, the Moorhead State game was a one-point contest. So that woke them up a little bit, I think, because they came out against North Alabama and played very hard throughout the entire contest. In fact, Mike was able to empty his bench quite early in that one. And, and of course, he plays eight or nine guys in almost every ball game anyway, but he had the, the guys that are coming off the bench for the most part playing the last seven to eight minutes of that contest, and that's why it was only a 17-point win. But it was by far their biggest margin of victory this year, and they did play hard for all 40 minutes of that contest. And I hope that transition into what we're going to see against Kennesaw tonight and for the rest of the season against anybody that we play in the Big Ten. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joins us. Um, Let's start with the positives here. Because normally it takes this amount of time to get and to understand what you have in a basketball team um, at this point of the season. What do you think on the positive side you can count on with Mike Woodson's squad at this point on the schedule in the season, Don? Well, that's what I don't know, John, because (laughs) as you know, there's been inconsistencies in, in players. There's been inconsistencies in play. Uh, their defensive play at times has been very good, and then at other times it's been really not very good at all. So I don't know what to expect. I, I, I think that this team is far enough along into the season now where they should have an idea or maybe even a personality at this point, but I'm not sure that we've seen that yet. And. I, I know that they're trying to weave all these other guys, the new faces and so on and so forth, and get these guys playing together and being confident with one another. That's a big part of it. Uh, but I, I don't think there's any doubt right now that we don't really know what this team is all about. And that's what we hope to see here in the next two or three, four ball games of the season, because you got to know a little bit about what you have when you get to that point especially in Big Ten play. And, and they're going to get tested right out of the box against a really much-approved Nebraska ball club on the road. And then they play a, an Ohio State team that has rebounded from a year ago, and they look like they're much, much better than they were one season past. So uh, I think this we, we've got to find something that is consistent with this ball club. And I would say that the, 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 the two players that have been the most consistent in my mind individually at this point have been Malik Renew and uh, Anthony Walker off the bench. Those two guys have been real keys all season long. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, with us early on this Friday. Again, Kennesaw State and IU tips at 6, 93 WIBC for the pregame show, which is underway at 5. I guess you can look at this two different ways. In terms of supporting an NCAA tournament resume, There's not a great deal of teams to play off of 
in the Big Ten, at least so far. But on the other hand, these, these other teams we're talking about, for the most part of the Big Ten, have similar issues and similar types of performances peppered throughout the schedule so far, much like IU, meaning there are a couple of teams and there's really not a lot of separation. In fact, one of those teams is going to be at a loss with their best player probably for the remainder of the season, you would have to think right now with Illinois' situation. So you look at this Big Ten schedule as it seems like for the first time in a while, you've got most of the teams on a somewhat similar plane. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I really kind of said that at the very beginning of the season. I thought that so many transfer portal players in the Big Ten this year and what they lost from a year ago uh, on the Big Ten through the portal or through graduation and so on, that we're going to see a lot of ball clubs that are going to probably have the early pro- or early problems in the season. We've seen that. Michigan State, of course, uh, being the optimal one because everybody thought Michigan State would be in the running for a Big Ten championship this year, and they've kind of floundered around except for the last a week or so, week and a half, two weeks, uh, when they finally kind of got back on track again. So, honestly, uh, what we can expect of the Big Ten this year, I have no idea. I don't think the league is as good as it has been, probably because of all this transitioning that we've seen. Uh, but at the same time, uh, somebody could really explode at this point. I mean, Purdue is without question the one team that you can guarantee they're going to be in the hunt all season long and probably should be, if not the prohibitive favorite, they should be certainly a favorite to be one of the teams who wins the Big Ten title. But at the same time, there are other teams that we've seen, you know, points in this season where they've really played well. You point out Illinois, and they've been a really good ball club, but Darren Shannon now obviously is in trouble, and uh, that hurts them dramatically. And how long, if at all he comes back, we'll have to wait and see. But that could affect them pretty uh, pretty dramatically as far as the way they go the rest of this campaign. But I, at, at this juncture, John, I don't know that we can predict, other than Purdue, if we can predict yeah. what we're going to see in the Big Ten this year. No, hey, Don, I absolutely agree with you on this because you have Purdue, as you pointed out, and then everybody else, I mean, you may have a different set of flaws, but they all equate to the same. I mean, there's a great deal of winnability on that schedule, night in and night out, but also from top to bottom, there's a great deal of losability if you don't bring it. And that's what Mike Woodson's got to find a consistency, I think, at the start of games and when things really start to go slow. And I don't know if that's, you know, one guy leadership-wise. I don't know if that's Mike. Maybe it's just somebody going out there and getting a couple of buckets when they desperately need it. But it seems like that they need more of a common denominator right now in that capacity when things are going bad. And it doesn't seem like that they've really found that. I don't know if that's Xavier Johnson when he returns or anybody else. But that is something I think they desperately need in those bad times. Yeah, I do too. And And – John, the whole point is the the lack of consistency in almost any area you look at this basketball team in right now has just been lacking in that department. The consistency level that they play with from a, uh, you know, from an intensity standpoint, uh, I mean, obviously the Kansas ball game, they played their butts off and and they certainly did against... uh, uh, North Alabama. Uh, they did it against a couple of other ball clubs too earlier in the year. But 
and Louisville was a game that they I thought they played hard the entire route. But there were also games where you just couldn't figure out what the heck they were doing. The Morehead State game being the most recent. So I don't think they have a personality yet. I think one of the real keys to this ball club being good this year in the Big Ten is for Khalil Ware to step up. Uh, he certainly has not played up to his capabilities the last couple of ball games. Uh, he obviously, he didn't play as many minutes in the game against um, uh, North Alabama but because they didn't need him to. But he hasn't put numbers on the board like he was doing earlier this campaign. And I'm, I'm concerned about that a little bit because and, – and I hate to bring this up because it's history – uh, but it's yeah. history that we know about, and that was what he did at Oregon. He was, uh, you know, dynamite in the early part of the season, and then he kind of went away, and he was not even starting as they got into conference play last year in the Pac-12. So right now uh, we need to get Khalil Ware going, and I think he's going to be a really important piece to, if this team is going to have success. No, and you know what? And I know that's something that Mike Woodson doesn't want to talk about, that history, because that history is. But – you're you're accurate that's what you have to go on and that's that's been his resume so far so to prove that differently would be you know understandably doing that tonight and then once you get into the again the bulk of the big 10 season because that's the resume that we're going on for him to this point that's understandable yeah absolutely and and the other thing is that they do need to get xavier johnson back and and yeah. i don't i don't know if he'll play tonight i don't know if he's been i know he's been on the floor I don't know if he's had any contact or anything like that. They may just wait until our first Big Ten game to get him back out there and playing some significant minutes. Uh, but I, I don't know whether he'll play at all tonight. We'll find out when we get down to Bloomington later today. I'll tell you, Don, the, the big key in moving forward, it's, it's going to be even more magnified in, in basketball, really in all of sports, the way things are in, in college athletics now. But continuity. Continuity and whether or not you find it in time to, to do something with it, to make something out of it. And a lot of these teams, you know, I'm watching Florida Atlantic. I mean, Florida Atlantic's got a loss to Bryant, got a loss to Illinois. But watching that double overtime win over Arizona and Vegas, the thing that I kept thinking of was, you know, that is a team that you go eight and nine, ten deep of guys that have been involved in that program. And there is such great continuity right there for them. Houston and Kelvin Sampson, great continuity right there. The Boilermakers at number one, great continuity. And oftentimes, especially in the first half of the season, that is what is going to be the overriding factor of the reason why you're playing so well, because you have it and others have yet to develop it. You know, I talked to Dusty May this summer uh, two or three times. We've been good friends ever since he was a manager at IU. And, and Dusty told me about his, a little bit about his team last year. And he was, so, he, he was so jazzed about the players that he had because he said, these kids have bought into our system and they love what they're doing. They absolutely have a passion for playing basketball. And for whatever reason these days, we see a lot of players that don't seem to have that kind of passion. We, we, you got guys that, that play the game, I guess, because they're good enough to play it, but I don't know if they love it and really have that passion for it. And that's why his team was so successful last year, the passion they played with and how much they wanted yep. it. And right now, I just don't – I mean, I'm not saying that Indiana doesn't have that, but I don't see it. I don't see it like I do in a team like that or like the teams you brought up. 
Don, then there are so many other factors. And, and believe me, these college athletes always have had something going on. I mean, going back to, to my era, you know, the era prior to me, there's always been something going on, but not to the level in which that can take your attention away from what really matters. I mean, you're just getting peppered, and it takes it takes some focus. That Don, I can tell you, there's no way in hell I could deal with any of this stuff if you were to throw me back in high school or college or high school right now. Absolutely no way. I would have zero focus whatsoever. And I think we are living in a world of that, especially in athletics on that level. There's way too much coming at most of these and those that are able to focus and compartmentalize, you know, separate it for the better are the ones most of the time they're going to end up winning things like this. You're right. And social media is a big part of that. I think AAU basketball is a big part of that, uh, a big part of it, because, you know, in AAU basketball, these guys play all summer long with these AAU teams. And if they get beat, it doesn't matter because they got another game coming up two hours or three hours later in the day. I mean, it's amazing to me how many games are played in AAU basketball through a summertime and how many times they play on a weekend and that kind of thing. It's just crazy in that sense. And I think it takes away from the passion to some degree and certainly it takes away from the emphasis on winning because they know if they lose, there's still going to be another game to play. And so they're, they're basically playing a tournament every weekend wherever they go with their AAU teams. And again, it takes away that importance of winning the game itself. You brought up Dusty May, too, and Don Fisher's with us quick in, in closing. So over the weekend, my, my mom's having problems down in Greene County with stray dogs running up to her house and wanting to stay right out in the woods. Um, that's a big problem. And part of the problem is her ass feeds them. So, there's, you know, there's not really too much reason why they're wanting to hang around. But I was wanting to – I sent a text to a friend down there um, that happens to be uh, – I think he is the – the uh, husband of the sister of Dusty's wife, and his name is Dustin Hayes. And I was going to—I sent him a text saying, "Hey, is there something we can do about these dogs?" And then I get a text back from Dusty May saying, "I don't know what I can do about these dogs down here, but I'm sure to help." So I actually sent the dog text to Dusty May instead of Dustin Hayes. So it's good. <laughs> Dusty, Dusty said, "We just got through two overtimes against Arizona, but I'm here to help." I'm here to help. So <laughs> that's, dust, that's dusty all over the ballpark. He's probably flapping his rear end off. <laughs> oh man! Anyway, hey, have a great call. Ninety-three WIBC five for the pregame, six for the coverage. Don and Eric and John from Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Kennesaw State, and IU again. Ninety-three WIBC coming up later on this afternoon. Don it is a pleasure. Happy New Year! And if you're at home. For New Year's Eve, B105.7, the all-request JMV takeover. Call in, and I'll play one of your favorite 70s songs, okay? All right, man. I, I may do that. I'll be waiting on it, too. I'll give you priority. I'll give you request line priority you're Sunday night. To, you're going to have to text me your phone number to do that. <laughs> I'll do that. You know I'll do that. Have a great call, Don. Appreciate you. Thanks, John. See you, buddy. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, of course, you're going to hear him tonight, tomorrow night, final couple of shows for the year 2023 on Indiana Sports Talk with our friend Bob Lovell. Hello, Bob. How are you? I'm great, John. How are you? I was out at, they have a myriad of these holiday tournaments in high school basketball, whether it's the girls or the boys right now. I know, for example, at the Toby Yoho Memorial Gymnasium down in Eastern Heights, Indiana, in Greene County, Eastern Greene is hosting. Martinsville, one of the teams down there. I was actually at Center Grove. I saw the Center Grove girls of Kevin Stuckmeyer and company versus right. Jeffersonville a little bit earlier today. So I, I did take in. Then Mike Wells' Brownsburg team played after that. I think they played Warsaw, and I didn't stay for that. But uh, I did uh, see the first one. And uh, there's no doubt the Trojans of Center Grove, that is a very good basketball team on the girls' side of things this season. One loss, and they look legit. Uh, they are legit. They've been legit for a long time, as, as you know. And uh, they're, they're a team that, um, you know, they really don't have too many weaknesses, to be honest. Uh, great experience. Uh, very talented program. Expected clearly high expectations for them to make a deep run in the tournament this year. Yeah, no, they uh, they they're pretty deep. Can shoot. They have a girl. Uh-huh. Trying to think, I can't remember. Uh, maybe her name was maybe Emma or something like that. She could shoot. It reminded me of me a little bit right there. Stroking <laughs> to three. Come on now. <laughs> uh, all, always open. Looked really good. So yeah, no, it was fun. And I, I'll tell you what, Bob. I, there's something to be said. This time of year is pretty awesome because there is is so much going on. And that's one of the aspects of it. I mean, we're, we're pulled because some people still have to work, but you may have to take off and go to a midday game where, you know, right. you can watch, you know, somebody in your family or friends of the family play at the high school level in one of these holiday tournaments. Pretty cool this time of year. It is. Uh, some of us are retired and kind of go where we want and do what we want. Exactly. Uh, others get paid to go to these games. Greg, Greg Strong and I did the IEPUI. Uh, University of Detroit Mercy game today. And then I worked with the ISC last night at the North Central Tournament for the boys. And they have a boys and girls uh, tournament at North Central. And so the Paul Logan Memorial Tournament was uh, was fun and got to see Park Tudor with a win, got to see Lake Central out of the northwestern part of the state uh, play last night. And so, as you pointed out, you can literally go anywhere in the state. And, John, it's just not basketball. It's wrestling and swimming uh but you know we obviously tend to gravitate toward the basketball part of it but uh you can see different teams from out of your area teams you haven't seen uh before it's great for the coaches and the players to to get out play some different styles some teams you'd never really see in your tournament action and go uh, find out a little bit more about your teams it's uh, Bob Lovell, Indiana Sports Talk, tonight, tomorrow night. You can catch him with all the reaction with, again, everything that's going on. Gator Bowl won by Clemson over Kentucky in a final couple of seconds. Touchdown was the difference right there. And Notre Dame and Oregon State in the Sun Bowl at the half with the Irish up 14-0. In that matchup with the Beavs, um, Indiana State tomorrow on the road 
right. at Michigan State. The first time these two teams have met since 1979. And obviously, that championship game won by Magic Johnson and the Spartans over Larry Bird and the Sycamores. Um, that, that's a great story. But this is more about a story in the building, the rebuilding, if you will, of a team in Terre Haute. One loss right now against a team in Michigan State. I think they're 7-4, seven 7-5, and, four, seven and five, so not a great start for them. But still, Michigan State and the Breslin Center. This is one of those, if you're able to win it, is kind of announcing your presence in a national scope if you're Josh Schertz and the Sycamores coming out tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great point. I, th- I think it is. And I think, uh, obviously, uh, you're very connected to them. Uh, but those of us in the state recognize the tremendous job that Josh Schertz and his Sycamores are doing. Listen, the turnaround they made and the amount of time that they've done it is amazing. I mean, no other word comes to my mind. That's just amazing how they've done it. Uh, and, and Robbie Avila may not uh, – may he, he is a, a force. He's just a hard matchup. Uh, it's a great story. It's fun to watch. Uh, and, and there's so much going on with this Sycamore team. Um, but a win tonight would, would be an emphatic, uh, I think, a, an exclamation point on where they are right now in terms of the rebuild. No, I, I agree, too. And, you know, you got – good to see you, man. Thanks for coming back. You know, you got some some local names, local guys, certainly. But, but really, there's not a great deal of notice – you know, even with the one loss so far until you do something like that. And that's just kind of the way college basketball is, has been, and it's even more emphasized right now. It's one of those situations where, you know, if you go up there and they end up losing, you know, all of a sudden you know, that, that whole buzz dies down and, and maybe you lose sight of it. But, again, I'm not trying to compare the two in what Florida Atlantic did last year, but, mm-hmm. but two on a, a similar – uh, similar plane, for example, uh, with what we saw in Florida Atlantic, you know, last year and what they were trying to build and the type of hype they were trying to get to a team like Indiana State. It was Florida Atlantic that kind of made that major move at about this time going into January last year. And again, I'm not suggesting there's any comparison to be made here other than the fact you get a level of notoriety that you would not ordinarily get, which, Bob, it's important to teams in schools like Indiana State. So there's a lot of reasons this game is magnified in level of importance, not just your average late December mm-hmm. matchup between a Missouri Valley Conference school and a Big Ten school tomorrow. Well, no, you're right. I think I would caution everybody and, and you, look, it's one of, of 30 games, uh, and it's important. Sure. There's no question. But, you know, a, a, a loss – um, it doesn't hurt you in a, in a sense that you're not in conference play. I have no doubt that uh, Indiana State has a great chance to, to win the Valley this year, uh, even get an at-large in the uh, NCAA tournament. I think they're a tournament-type team. I wouldn't want to play them. And so I think this is just an indication of what's to come for Indiana State. I think people, if they're not excited and don't have them on the radar screen, they need to because they're legit. They can play you. They can defend you. They can score anywhere on the court. Uh, they have a bunch of guys who can all put it on the floor and handle it and pass it, catch it, and shoot it. That's why they've only lost one ball game because they're really hard to match up with. Well, and until further notice, all that matters for them is going to be Arch Madness Absolutely. because that is Absolutely. a one-bid NCAA tournament league. 
And I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden it's multi-bit if Indiana State wins tomorrow because yeah, they already have nearly a 20-point loss against Alabama earlier this season. But in, in terms of, of importance, again, and the type of reception you get with it compared to without it, which is necessary for a team like Indiana State, a program like Indiana State, it is magnified. There's no question about that tomorrow in East Lansing. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think you're, you're exactly right. And, and I, I recognize that uh, Michigan State off to a little slower start than they, than they anticipated. Sure. But listen, um, th- this will be a good ball game. I know um, Michigan State's going to have to elevate their play. What concerns you, though, when you play a team of the Big Ten, you play a Tom Izzo team, is the level of physicality, and you have to match that from the opening tip, or it's going to be a long day for you. No doubt about that. All right, what else are you keeping track of coming up this weekend on Indiana Sports Talk? I mentioned all the high school stuff, both boys and girls going on, collegiately speaking as well. Obviously, you always talk about the Pacers. You'll talk about the Colts coming up on Sunday. What are you right, keeping track right. of beginning tonight on Indiana Sports Talk, Bob? Can I tell you, it's a basketball night, John. you got girls and boys basketball literally all over the state in all of these uh, one-day affairs, uh, tournaments the kinds of things that are going on. And, you know, it's your, uh, your holiday season. You'll wrap it up, and then you start to get into county tournaments and those kinds of things. So it's, it, this is a time of year where you start to get into tournament basketball. And listen, before we know it, you're going to be playing uh, the, for the girls' championship. You know, the pairing show comes up uh, sooner than we anticipate uh, and sooner than we're ready for, to be honest. And it doesn't seem like we're that far into it, but we really are at a point where – you know, you're about midway on the girls' side and the boys' side, uh, clearly about maybe a third of the way through. And so some great stories all over. But it's an important time, an important weekend for everyone because uh, you're going to turn your attention to uh, January, which means everyone needs to start thinking about tournaments around our state. Bob Lovell of Indiana Sports Talk, if you're looking for a high school score, Girls, boys, later on tonight, whatever's going on in college, keep a track of Kennesaw State and IU. Keep a track of the Boilers later on tonight as well. If you're doing any of that, you know, lock that into Bob Lovell and Indiana Sports Talk both tonight and tomorrow night. Network Indiana affiliates around the state. And Bob's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group. Paul, and as always, brought to you by every Friday, your 14th Central Indiana Joe Childers run. CarX locations, maintain road readiness this winter. CarX.com for that location nearest you. Happy holidays to you. Have a great new Thank year. You. Great couple of shows to end 2023. And uh, we'll, we'll touch you up on that first Friday of 2024 next Friday to I'll see where forward. we are. I'll look forward to you it, got it buddy. Thanks. Have a great new year. Bob Lovell. Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com.